Hey guys, welcome back to the Leah Podcast. And today we'll be talking about languages and their importance and why they're dying out. So we're going to start by talking about the importance of having a diverse language. Like the more diversity for one, that's really important. You get a sense of other people's culture. You may not have visited there before, but just by me talking to you, I feel like I know where you're from. (laughs) And you get, like, more job opportunities, and it's a greater diversity. Like, there's so many people who speak different languages in America. And having that connection with meeting other people is very important. I'm going to give an example of somewhere where languages are dying. My example would be Afghanistan. And it's an article written by Noshin Abarazara. And Afghanistan has 23 endangered languages. That is so many. And the question I want to ask is, does violence play a role in that? And it does. In Afghanistan, it does. So in Afghanistan, the words and the languages, they all have like political meaning. And in America, when people speak, if it stands for politics, that's something that we usually like stray away from. So in Afghanistan, of course, they're going to stray away from it. So the languages that are being used in Afghanistan, it causes violence. Now, when I say violence, I mean like people getting killed. And let's take for example. So in Afghanistan, there were a group of students. And they decided that they were going to stand up or what the government was trying to do, push a different language on them. And they decided that they were going to use a language that they were taught. And they ended up being killed. And the minister in 2006 of Afghanistan, he gained obsession control over the public language and what he wanted them to speak, what he wanted them to say. Basically having them hide their real language, having them hide their voices. If I can't speak what I want to speak, then I might as well not speak at all. I might as well just be mute. So the languages spoken in Afghanistan are Dari and Farsi. So in 2018, Farsi was created. Now it is old and it's dying out because the government is pushing the Darcy language since 1964. It's a new government, so they want them to speak a new developing language. 50% of Afghanistan now speaks Darcy. And it's like 12.5. 12.5 million are like native, and then 2.5 million in Pakistan speak Farsi. And Farsi, Farsi is spoken by 35 million, so that's still a higher than Dar, even though the government is still pushing. People are starting to sneak languages and speak it. And in Afghanistan natives, they're feeling that the Darcy language is being forced on them by the government. And if I'm forced to speak, I might as well not speak at all. For example, my grandmother, she passed away when I was 13 years old, and we asked her like plenty of questions about her heritage and her growing up and how difficult was it trying to adapt to the different languages. So my grandmother grew up in Montego Bay, Jamaica, and she speaks Padua. And asking her questions like, how was it? How did you adapt? Like, how long did it take you? She would just say things like she felt like when she first got to America that it was like forced on her to speak a different language that she didn't really know. Like she knew it because part of why it's like broken English. Basically, but it's still kind of difficult. 
to try to adapt. So when she first started to adapt into this new language, it was like speaking her previous language wasn't allowed anymore. Not like allowed, but kind of like, kind of like covered shots, basically. But she could only speak it when she was when she was alone. The people who knew her language, like uh, her mother, her father, and like her uncles, stuff like that. My different family member that grew up. So now I'm going to introduce an interview that was produced by Amari Deloge and DeAndre Pimpson, and we're interviewing um, Mr. Mir. And he was asking questions based on his language. He said some good, useful things. So yeah. Okay, I have Mr. Kim here with me. Growing up, if the only language that you knew was being taken away, how would you feel? What do you mean taken away? Like if it was destroyed, like if they say you can't speak this language here anymore. Oh my God, I would feel like my identity was being taken away. Why? Because language is who you are. That's like so much of what makes us who we are is our ability to express ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for example, um, you know, my uh, oldest uncle, right, was alive or used in school during the occupation when Jap Japan had was occupying Korea, right? So when he grew up, the Japanese uh, government basically said to all the to people in Korea, like you cannot speak in Korean in school. So they ha they had to learn Japanese and speak Japanese in school. It's crazy, right? He still knows Japanese and he's like ninety years old. Right, so it's you know I mean obviously he speaks Korean, but I'm in English. But like you know, it's funny because we'll sit around and like when he and his wife want to talk and nobody understand, they start speaking Japanese, right? But it's like it's truly it becomes who you are, and that's like for him internalizing the language of the oppressor, right? Because the Japanese were also at the time raping women and 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 basically you know like occupying Korea. Um, undermining entire, you know, the history and the tradition and all of our um, identity. Does that make sense? So, mm -hmm. so around the world, um, in like places like Chile or Argentina, their language was about to be taken away. How do you think that's going to affect them? Who do you mean their language is going to be taken away? You talking indigenous languages? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so so I don't know what you mean taken away in in those contexts, but I think that you know, for a lot of indigenous cultures, is particularly an issue, right? Because you're talking about in some uh, indigenous communities, you're talking about communities where it's like 2,000, 3,000, 8,000, 20,000 people, right? So if they lose the language, what happens to the language? It's gone forever, you know what I'm saying? As opposed to, um, as opposed to you know, Korean is millions and millions and millions and millions of people who speak Korean, right? So it's going to persist regardless. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's, that's a real, you know, you're talking about that's like, cultural genocide linguistic genocide right when you when you are um are not allowing people or even even if they're not overtly doing it sometimes it's, it's indirect or subtle the way that it happens right like you know uh, uh, indigenous culture will um let me put it this way to you right in new mexico right many of the um pueblo communities which is a, a certain um kind of Native American community. The Pueblos are, there's many different Pueblo communities, but it represents like um, certain tribes that were essentially settled there, mainly agrarian cultures, right? Settled in, in the Southwest um, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And what ends up happening, right, is um, when the Spanish came to the USA, right, or when the Spanish came to America, at the time it was not the USA, right, but when they 
conquered these areas, right? Um, there was a degree of Hispanicization that happened with every one of these these pueblos, right? And some of it's linguistic, some of it's cultural, some of it's religious, etc., right? Um, but some of those communities are so Hispanicized, they've been made so um, Spanish, right? That they actually don't even have any connection with their Pueblo traditions. So they call those communities Genizaro. Genizaro means that they were native communities, right? Or indigenous communities that at this point are indistinguishable from, right, the, you know, quote unquote Latino, the, the Hispanicized communities of natives that became, right, you know, Latin America and, 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 the, and the way that Latin America exists today. And so indigenous cultures in Latin America, is, that's something that's really, really, really. Um, you know, you look at like Chiapas and places like that, right? Like, or in, in South America, like these, some of these indigenous communities have not had single contact with other um, quote-unquote civilized communities, right, in forever because they live deep in the Amazon and stuff. It's a great movie you should watch too. That's, that's a good one for that. So I like how he said that he would feel like his identity had been taken away. I was just touching on that because I feel the same way. If I can't speak the language I no longer speak anymore, then who am I? Cause that's what I grew up on. That's what I know. That's who I am. So that was really cool. And and since he touched on Japan, let's speak on Japan. Somewhere where, like Afghanistan, there are many people. And like I said before, and like he said in his interview, a language never really dies. It never really dies. Someone speaks it, though. There will be people trying to force a new one on them or to speak something different. The language never really dies. They speak it in secret. They speak it to each other when they're not around a governmental figure. So that's what I want to leave you guys with for this episode. Catch me on episode two. We'll be elaborating more. And we out.